Hello, I am Donna Edda, and this is The Interested Podcast, a show that brings you stories from brilliant minds to inspire health, love, and personal growth. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Interested Podcast. My guest today is Coco Chan. We had an incredible conversation about mental health and being brave for yourself. She is the founder and managing director of Voltage PR, one of Hong Kong's most sought-after boutique PR agencies. She is the mastermind behind Wellness Warriors, a movement aimed to raise collective consciousness in the holistic space. She is the co-founder of OMSA, a portal dedicated to self-care and spiritual practices. She is also a new mother. Coco is a dynamite. She is smart, funny, and beautiful. But here's the thing. That's just what we see on the outside. In this conversation, Coco reveals her relationship with chronic depression. Sometimes the best remedy is to listen to stories from others with shared struggles. I hope you get a lot of value out of this that could help you or someone you know. Without further ado, I bring you Coco Chan. Coco, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. No worries. Let's get a bit of background info. Can you tell us what was your earliest happy memory? I think my earliest happy memory was... um, I grew up in a very big family in Hong Kong. Um, I have six cousins in my generation, but all the families were very close-knit. We'd hang out every week, um, have dinners, do dim sum. Um, I think my happiest memories were definitely our big family group trips so every christmas we would go somewhere different i remember one year we went to whistler and it was awesome because growing up in hong kong you don't get much snow right yeah so whistler was a special one i uh, remember some really um warm moments and funny moments including lighting up farts so um (laughs) Yeah, I love fart jokes. Um, nice. So those are some really How funny, old were happy... you then? I think I was probably like eight or nine. What did your parents do for work? Um, that is a complicated question. I My family's in the candy business. Uh, my biological mother is uh, in real estate and then switched over to jewelry design. And uh, my biological father is in logistics. Okay, but then you didn't grow up with them. No, I grew up with my biological mom's side of the family, but not really with her. Okay, yeah. do you want to share the background story? Um, that probably offsets all of my mental health issues. <laughs> so I guess we um, should cover it then. Yeah, so um, I was born out of wedlock. And then um, three months after I was born, my grandmother came to pick me up in Canada to bring me back to Hong Kong. And I grew up with my biological mother's mother, so my grandmother from my mom's side. And then I grew very close to my uncles and aunts because they kind of all shared the title as parents for me. And so um, I've Although I don't have, you know, biological parents growing up, I had a big family of 14 raising me and, you know, sharing Christmases and summers and bringing me on trips and stuff. So, yeah. (laughs) So um, the reason why your grandma brought you back to Hong Kong was your parents were not able to take care of you at that time or? Um, I 
still until this day don't know the true story behind it because I think there's a lot of blurry lines and gray area and secrets behind that. But I think the most clear story that I can round up from all the bits and pieces is that my mom was, my biological mother was incapable of taking care of me. Mm. Whose love did you crave the most? Wow, you know, I might start tearing up talking about this. I actually, my biological mother, um, I, I actually struggle until this day. I just had this massive conversation with my husband this weekend because I just gave birth to my daughter two months ago. And so a lot of motherhood questions and issues have floated up to the surface which was quite uncomfortable but yeah definitely I think my biological mother did you think it shaped you to become a certain type of person to get her attention or her love absolutely I am a massive overachiever and perfectionist and that has definitely been a very deep rooted belief system in me since I was a child I think it's because I always thought something was wrong with me because my biological mother didn't want me and so I think a lot of that mental health stuff stems from that at what point did you realize that something is not wrong with you it's not about you it's about them (laughs) Um, Did it happen early on or it was way later? It was way later. I'm turning 35 next year and um, I think it's only hit me earlier this year that there's nothing wrong with me Mm. Um, and it's totally hurt. I've tried to paint this image of her in my mind and give always give her the benefit of the doubt that she has the ability to be mm-hmm. the mother I want her to be so I've been kind of living through rose tinted glasses my whole life I grew up watching Disney for for frick's sake so <laughs> I've always kind of found my escape in fairy tales growing up um, so I think I, I, I uh, redact into that belief system a lot and then I apply it to real life, which doesn't work. You know? no. <laughs> um, and I don't think it, it hit me until earlier this year when I lost my grandmother mm-hmm. and saw how my biological mother um, dealt with that issue. It made me realize, you know, how many times I've tried to seek her approval and try to chase and grip for her love like in any way possible Mm. whether it's begging or constantly trying or throwing a fit or just being an idiot and you know doing stupid shit to try like to test her limits to see if she would care um which brings me to (laughs) I was a very troubled teenager and I was really a handful (laughs) because I wasn't getting the I was getting the attention from my whole family um but I wasn't getting it from that one person that I really wanted it from (laughs) wow we're gonna go back to that in a minute okay but I also want to paint a picture about how you see yourself when you were younger so do you remember yourself during primary school days what kind of social groups did you belong to um yeah what was it like I was uh definitely one of the bullies growing up being quite a small petite girl um I think because I didn't I I was so hurt growing up 
even though I was so happy, which is total oxymoron, I built up this exterior badass persona for myself so that I wouldn't get hurt in other sectors of my life. And so I was a bully at school, actually. I am not proud of it. Um, yeah. That's really interesting because I have two girls now. And when I see their peers, and obviously I'm going to judge other kids, yeah. not proudly, but I do. And I'm like, ooh, that kid is not such a good kid. I don't want my daughter to play with her. Yeah. Um, but then I always go back to there must be hurt in a child for them to feel that way. Yeah. And then when I open <laughs> up and I make such an effort to kind of shut my mind down and, and show some care and love. Yeah. And that person's guards come down yeah. every single time. Yeah. And it's really beautiful to see. Yeah. Um, I was not proud of that. <laughs> I actually, I remember um, coming back to Hong Kong uh, 16 years ago and bumping into this girl that I used to always pick on. And I don't think she, I don't know if she recognized me, but I walked up to her and she definitely remembered me because oh. I think I made such a terrible impact on her um uh, life and I apologized to her and then she started crying and she was hugging me I'm crying now um and I was like I'm so sorry for picking on you um I didn't know how to um express my feelings as a kid because I wasn't shown how to um but I do know now and I wanted to apologize for my behavior so um that was appreciated from her <laughs> oh wow that's so beautiful yeah and she accepted your apology. Yeah, she gave me a hug afterwards. She's like, no, no worries, all good. <laughs> so actually, if we're talking about solution-based, so if if a child is suffering from this now and we see it, what would you, what do you think is something that we can do or we should pay attention to to, to help the situation? I honestly think that if I was had the chance to rewind back to my childhood i wish some of the adults around me would have spoken to me about how to deal with not having a biological mother because i think they assumed that oh we have so many people loving you already that should be enough but i think i'm always going to think differently because i'm the one going through it right and i think what's really important is kind of standing in everyone else's shoes Mm. And not just projecting what you think should be what society thinks it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think really talking helps. Um, so no one had that conversation with you? Not that I recall. Right. Um, I, I don't think it was until I was very open about it as an adult that they finally was like, yeah, your mom's kind of crazy. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's normal. Like, for us, it's normal. So we thought it would be normal for you. Now I want to jump over to your personal stories. Sure. You run a successful PR company. You have your hands in everything. <laughs> On the outside to most people, you're living the dream life. You, you've got it all. You're beautiful. You're successful, whatnot. But on the inside, there's a lot of pain and hurt and no one can see that. Yeah. Can you go back to a time and describe what was, what was that one event that made you realize, hang on, something is not right and and I need help. I didn't realize I needed help until I was in my early 20s. But I started seeing a therapist when I was 16. 
when I was in boarding school because that was the first time I showed signs of depression. And I'm actually a pretty normally happy person. But I think what's interesting is that the happiest people you know beside you actually are the ones that are hurting the most. (laughs) Um, My therapist tells me this all the time. I've trained my mind so well to lock up all of my unhappy memories that sometimes I forget about them. Um, So I've been using these past few years to kind of unlock things. It's interesting. I, I remember stuff back to when I'm eight now. I wasn't able to remember anything before I was 16 before. Going back to your question, when did I realize I needed help? Um, I got in trouble with the law um, when I was 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really fucked up royally. Um, and I was really scared. I thought my whole family was just going to be like, all right, you're such a bundle of disappointment and trouble. Goodbye. But no, they um, all supported me. And that's when I really shifted and went from a victim mentality to a grateful mentality um, and really started counting my blessings. I know it took 21 years, but hey, (laughs) I got there. (laughs) Better late than never. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? Why did you think they were not going to be there for you? I think because at a very young age, the word abandonment was something so deeply ingrained into my belief system that in whatever relationship I had, there was always an underlying fear of someone leaving me or or thinking I'm not good enough and then turning their back on me and yeah. Can you describe anxiety? What does it look like to you? What does it smell like to you? What does it sound like to you? Oh man, I really hate anxiety. Um, Anxiety, I think for everyone is a little bit different. Um, But for me personally, it starts off with my mind just like rolling out of control because I start thinking of my to-do lists. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't done this. Oh, my God, I haven't done that. And then it's my me, myself living in the future. And then I start spiraling. Um, that's just the mind. And then yeah. once the body starts picking up the mind, like un- like spiraling, then my heart starts beating really fast. My palms get really sweaty. Um, in severe cases, I feel like there's like a big stone on top of my chest that makes me unable Mm. to breathe um super extreme cases which has happened before i start hyperventilating and then um have you seen harry potter yes (laughs) i use this um a lot you know voldemort yes (laughs) when he shriveled on the floor like a dead baby yes yeah i literally hyperventilate and then all my limbs start shrinking like Voldemort and I I can't control my like limbs because I'm hyperventilating so much that I have no control over my limbs and I start shriveling basically and how long would that last for well if my husband is there he knows how to calm me down um if not there has been cases where I just pass out on the street and then have to be you know sent so it happened on the street um it's happened once on the street it's happened twice at work um, and it's happened a few times with my husband. Yeah, extreme cases, I will be sent to the ER. Um, but it's it's funny how the the people at the ER um, respond to you. They're like, ha, it's just anxiety. 
they say just anxiety. They're like, oh, because they think, oh, crap, this person can't breathe. Um, and then they, they escalate your case to like super important, right? And then they, you come in and you're, wow. li- and then they check your symptoms. They're like, oh, they're relieved because they're, oh, you don't have a heart attack. It's just a anxiety. And you're like, what do you mean just anxiety? I feel like I'm dying. Like I can't breathe. Yeah. And so people who battle this stuff and experience this stuff, when someone who is a professional tells you just anxiety, mm. that doesn't validate what you're going through right that sucks yeah and they should like you're being be a saying, wuss right they're like oh it's kind of just man up suck it up right yeah. if i was to come across a person that's having an anxiety attack in public what should i be doing if i want to help should i even reach out and help this i think this is a very personal thing um i i don't know about other people but for me i forget how to breathe mm. when i'm anxious and i need to start focusing on my breath because if I start focusing on all of the things that I haven't done that are in the future that haven't even happened yet, Mm. which is really interesting how the mind works, I just lose control of my breath and then I start hyperventilating. So I need to always be present and start counting my breaths, deep breaths in and out Mm -hmm. to get back to a normal breathing state. Right. So that would be a really helpful tip for someone who absolutely. is in the space absolutely, and it's urgent, yeah. right? But everyone experiences anxiety differently. Right. Um, so for me, it's breathing most of the time. So what kind of treatments did you try out? So um, I, after collapsing a few times at work, um, that was kind of like my huge alarm bell. Like, okay. So it took a few times. It was not just <laughs> yeah. the first Terrible. One. Yeah, I know. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I uh, searched high and low. I went to go see Western doctors, Chinese doctors. Western doctors were like, wow, you're at a state of chronic anxiety. You need to be prescribed Valium. And for those of you who don't know, Valium is a highly addictive drug. Um, And yeah, it makes you feel good and numb and like relaxed, but it also makes you feel kind of loopy. And um, I, I don't want to take a, a addictive drug for the rest of my life. Do you know what I mean? I thought you made a good decision. Right. And um, so I was like, okay, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to look for other stuff. And, you know, Chinese doctors never, never ask you to take Western medicine. Right. But I think because I was at such a chronic state, they're like, I really suggest you go see the Western doctor and take something to suppress it first because oh, wow. Chinese medicine takes a while. It's not like a one night and you're yeah. done kind of thing. You need to take it for like months and months. Yeah. He's like, but you're at this state of flight and flight. Your body's going to start shutting down organs. Wow. Right? So you're like, oh, great. So I'm basically royally effed, right? <laughs> like Anxiety can shut down organs? Absolutely. When you're at, if you're, when your body is at this constant fight fl- fight or flight state and it's so high that it just like it basically thinks your body's under attack mm. and it'll start shutting down so chronic anxiety is wow. really bad for the body and when you have anxiety your body produces cortisol and cortisol is not good for the body um too much cortisol will tip you off right chinese doctor didn't want to deal with you <laughs> well he wanted to but he was like look it's not gonna really do much right now because right now you need to fix this like suppress this now so that you don't 
tip it off right and so i was like god seriously come on guys and then so i was like you know what i give up i'm just gonna send a message on facebook and just ask my three thousand friends on facebook what do i have to lose and so i had a few friends private message me and they said have you tried essential oils and mind you at that time i was not an aromatherapist (laughs) and i basically laughed i was like ha um i'm not gonna try that hippie stuff you know and then she said what what do you have to lose and i said okay good point point." and at that point how much time has gone by i've probably seen oh, so many doctors i was searching for about three months already mm. and then so i was like you know what i've tried everything and i i'm an aries i don't know if that means anything to you mm. i am like very fast at everything i need to do right. and i'm always like come on Fidela, hurry up hurry up hurry up yeah and so even looking for a solution i wanted to you know speed through right. it i tried essential oils um, my husband was like, oh, it's so expensive because like I bought like so many. And then and then I was like, well, you know what? If it works, it works. If it doesn't, then on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, I used it for two weeks. And truth be told, I felt huge differences, not only in mood, but I felt better inside about myself, too, which sounds like it's a magic pill. But um, <laughs> I really felt a big difference. And so I continued using it and I used it for about six months. And even my husband, who I see every day because I work with him too, he noticed it a lot. And, you know, even though he thinks it's expensive because men don't, you know, see, they're like, oh, it's such a small bottle. Why is it so expensive? (laughs) I'm like, well, it's healing me. So let's like just do it instead of like decades of medicine anyway um and so he noticed it the most and he said you know what this is really helping you you're a happier person you're more positive you you're nicer to people right um and and how did you use it you it was just topical you just um there's actually so many ways of using essentials which obviously i didn't know at the time um you can diffuse it that's the easiest way to use it the second is on your skin um the third is hot compress um some you can inhale through hot steam some of them you can ingest now take that with a grain of salt because not all oils are made equally because some are like mixed with synthetic preservatives so i do not suggest doing that yeah and then um you know being the type a person that i am i got so interested because i'm like how does this makes such a big difference you know it's amazing and um you know i thank that friend like every day until now Mm. and every time someone asks me who it was i happily tell them you know it was asan and janet who who helped me change my life really because i used to be so neggy i was always a happy person but I was very like sarcastic in everything that I did. And my inner critic was terrible. Even if I was super happy dandy in front of you and like really good friends and always supporting you, my inner mind was very critical of myself. And the oil changed that? It totally changed that. I mean, I'm not saying that I am healed. Yeah. I haven't been touched by God. <laughs> um, but a lot of people see a big difference. Is there research behind it? What's absolutely what's, okay? So, what's the understanding? If you know, because people are skeptical, so, understandably. Yeah. So basically, eighty percent of your scent directly affects your mood. 
So imagine living living in 2019 now with all this mm. pollution, especially in Hong mm. Kong, dead gas from from cars, from factories, synthetic fragrances. All this stuff affects your mood, and if you're smelling something pure, that can affect your mood. Imagine, right? And all of these essential oils, they come from the earth, right? They're all natural. Yeah. And they date back to a few thousand years ago. That is base herbology has been around for centuries, guys. That is basically what tra- traditional Chinese TCM medicine is. There is plenty of research backing to it, yeah. you know? Like, we don't need Western medicine. <laughs> well, I do Pharmaceuticals are going to hate me. You know, if yeah, absolutely some crazy stuff. Absolutely, but definitely for well-being and right. maintenance. And I think the biggest difference between um, taking that red or blue pill or going, you know, alternative holistic natural healing is that Western medicine most of the times only suppresses the root cause and doesn't heal the root cause. And so, natural healing and alternative therapy is a preventative treatment. Yes right to prolong your your health you know and longevity what have you and also fix the root cause it takes a lot longer because it's natural but when you fix the root cause Mm. you really fix it it's resetting your body yeah it's like resetting your body it's like meditating you know like your brain is constantly on and it's you know in this day and age it's not supposed to be made to t- be turned on for 24-7. And so if you're able to meditate for even five minutes, that basically reboots your brain and you feel so refreshed after it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just the idea of going to meditate makes me happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. so excited yeah. about it. How did your anxiety affect your family? Actually, this is a really interesting question. No one's actually asked me this before. My family didn't know about my anxiety until probably these two, three years. Because I wasn't ever really open with them about it. I think growing up in a Asian family, it's a very common thing to kind of sweep things under the rug and not talk about it. That's also what has triggered me to come out of the closet and share about it because um, I personally think the first step of uh, mental health healing is A, acknowledging that Mm. there's an issue that needs to be dealt with and secondly, talk about it. Uh, I mean, you don't have to talk about it publicly like I do. Uh, that's kind of scary. But talk to like your best friend, a family member who you trust, or you know, if you don't want to talk to them, seek professional help. Someone who knows the necessary steps to um, help you with. Mm. Um, because every mental health person who's dealing with something has a different story and severity of right. depth, you know? And so... There's so many different types of things you can do. It's not just talking, but by talking, you can be validated because you're not alone. And I think that was the biggest thing for me when I came out to talk about it. I got so many private messages from friends that Mm. I've known for years that I thought, what? You? You have the same problems? I was like, 
like you're running like a Fortune 500 company. What? Right. Um, and it's more common than having the flu. <laughs> um, I think especially now in this society mm. where we're constantly turned on and there's so many pressures from every angle coming at us. It's normal to have a mental yeah. health disorder, you know? Anxiety and stress is not the only two things. Body dysmorphia is one of them too. And Yeah, definitely want to tap into that later with you. That one is a huge one, especially for us women. Yeah, absolutely. Mention about it. But just going back, so the way your family received your condition, were they supportive? What was the conversation like? Because then it started, right? Yeah, so let me tell you two different family members. So one was my grandmother. Um, She was born in 1920s. So very different mindset. But she was also the love of my life. Mm. Um, But she was also the one who made me feel not good enough growing up. Because, um, you know, growing up, when she grew up, it's very normal for Asian people to see, like, the first time they see you after four years, oh, they fade you off. Oh, yes. you got fatter. Yes. You're like, why do you say stuff like that? That's so not nice, yes. you know? Um, but it's just in their system. Growing up, if I had, like, a massive pimple, she'd be like, oh, you have a big pimple <laughs> on your forehead. And I'm just like, and it made me feel like crap. Right. Especially growing up as a teenager. You're like, okay, I'm already dealing with behemoth of issues and hormonal stuff and like trying to fit in and blah, blah, blah. And now you're pointing at my flaws. And so when I told my grandma a few years ago when she was still here, she paused and she was like, what is that? She's like, we didn't have that growing up. Maybe it's just... You're, you guys, like, in this generation are just wussy, you know? Like, you guys just need to suck it up. Wow. I was like, excuse me? What? I was like, I bet you you have a whole bunch of stuff that you don't even know about that you have. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? That was a reaction. And so I kind of just like, okay, whatever. Um, but Not what I, you expected because you thought she was going to be a bit more supportive and go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Maybe did you expect? No, I kind of knew she was going to be harsh about it because that's just her right but she harshes with love you know what i mean Mm. and then i told my mom and dad not my biological parents but my um, adoptive parents who are my aunt and uncle whom i love dearly um i told them about it and they've always been such supportive people i love them to death and um they were really supportive about it and they're like okay so what can we do Let's do something. Right. Like my dad is a set like of a, plan. He's a planner, you know. He's like a very solution oriented person. I was like, oh, no, I was just sharing it with you guys. Like, this is what I'm dealing with, and it kind of sucks. Like, I have solutions, but it's just nice to be able to share it with you guys. And they're like, okay. So they've always been very supportive of it, and um, I'm very lucky in that sense where I have that. It got to the point where my dad started to experience some anxiety too, and um, wow. and then. I before I was pregnant, ZBD came to life, and I was like, "Oh, I really want to try that." So, Dad and I were like researching some brands together. You know, in in California, um, there's a lot more brands out there. So, you know, I started using that, and that really helped a lot. In what way? I get really jittery in the morning mm-hmm. because um, because I'm a Type A. Right. I'm like, okay, today I have to, I have this on the calendar. I have these to do lists. Okay, I need to get all this stuff done. Blah blah blah. And then I underestimate, I only have 24 hours in a day. So I kind of set myself up for failure that day because I'm like, okay, here's 50 things on my to-do list. And then I only get like 10 done. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, damn it, I didn't finish it. Um, And then I feel like crap. But when I put a few drops in my um, uh, CBD in my tea or whatever I'm drinking in the morning, it 
calms me so that I can actually think clearer and more realistically, <laughs> believe it or not. But you're still yourself. No, I'm still myself. It's not like THC. THC and CBD is totally different, right? So CBD doesn't have the high factor. Right. Um, but it's actually really good for calming the body. Even people who have chronic pain who use CBD like oil or CBD creams is really great for like um, chronic pains as well. Oh, wow. That's yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Do you notice a difference on days you don't use it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can feel because I don't know how to describe this feeling, but there's like this tingle in my chest when I start getting anxious. That's like mm. my first sign. sign of, okay, you're starting to get anxious. And if I don't notice that tingle and just skip to the next step, it's like, okay, no, it's gone too far. You can't um, pull and it then back. I can't pull it back. Yeah. Let's go to the body dysmorphia yeah. step that we talked about. As I was telling you before, you recently posted a photo of you and your beautiful baby. Yeah. And you were really sharing about how you deal with your own yeah. body image. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. So um, it's interesting because um, for the listeners who are listening, <laughs> I'm quite a petite person. <laughs> I'm only about 5'1". Um, I'm, I used to always be like an extra small. Even though I have these petite frame. And everyone was like, oh, Coco's always so tiny, so skinny. I never thought that. I do a lot of coaching work now. And I ask myself, where does this come from? And I'm sorry, Grandma. Rest your soul. It comes from my grandma, really. And my biological mother. It's ingrained at a very young age in my belief system that when a authority figure like my grandmother and my mm. biological mom constantly gnaw at my flaws and pick at my flaws and tell me I'm not good enough or uh, there's something wrong with my body or, oh, how come you got fatter? How come there's a pimple on your face? <laughs> or how come you have so many freckles or just whatever? I'm half white. I'm going to have freckles. Okay, get over it. Um, Constantly having that ingrained as a childhood conditioning mm. has, you know, catapulted itself into my adulthood. And because I never felt good enough, I would s always seek outside validation. And hence also why I'm a type A perfectionist, right? Because I feel like, oh, if I continue to do all this stuff, then people will think I'm great. And then I feel good about myself. Then I'm worthy. Then I'm worthy. But why do I need other people's validation? Do you know what I'm saying? And so that is a huge thing, I think, for a lot of people. But not a lot of people realize it and not a lot of people say it. Yeah. So I'm just going to go out and say it. Um, and I feel, you know, that's a constant thing that I need to be mindful of. And so I always bite more than I can chew. Always. Right. Um, and then it bites me in the butt because I'm like, oh, actually, I don't have enough time for that. Sorry. These past few years, I have really been trying to um, be more aware of that. But it's insane, though, because two people in your life will make those comments. I know. But hundreds and thousands will tell you how beautiful you are. I know. But it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because you don't feel it inside. It's crazy. I know. I know. I know. It's crazy. So how are you rewiring your brain? To be frank, um, this is going to sound so terrible. My biological mother has always been the anti-role model for me. So what she is 
I strive not to be. Especially now that I have a daughter. I think there's so many life lessons that are, you know, coming back that I haven't really looked in the face that are really smacking me in the face now. It's like, all right, time for you to buck up and uh, (laughs) strap on and deal with these things. Um, So uh, body dysmorphia is definitely one of them. I know, I know. I just made a human being and I just birthed it and it's only been two and a half months and it is totally normal to have a postpartum body. But again, going back to, I always want quick results. Mm. It's just my personality to do everything at like hyper speed, even with my body. I'm like, okay, it's been two and a half months. How come I'm, I haven't slimmed down yet? But then I look at my daughter and um, I, I had this um, photo shoot two weeks ago. And um, it was midway into my postpartum belly binding. And I told myself, I was like, okay, I'm going to do my belly binding. And then I'm going to go through my closet to see which pants still fit and which ones don't. And then I'll donate the ones that don't. And then I will buy new pants because I don't want to tell myself that, okay, I'm going to fit into these pants. And then when I don't, I'm going to get upset. So I'm like, I'm just going to embrace this body and just go with it. Okay. It's so hard though. It's hard. And um, I sat my two month old on a high chair and I was going through my closet and I turned it into like a fun thing for both of us. I was like, I need your moral support kid. (laughs) I was like, I need you to do this with mommy. And so I kind of did like this mini fashion show and I put on all of my pants and then I would either come out and be like, oh, this doesn't fit. Donate. And then this one, look, mommy it still fits and she would smile with me and I found it so much more motivating (laughs) to do because I was not ready to try on any of my pants in in the closet you know what I mean but because of this photo shoot they're like oh do you have a pair of pants you can bring I'm like I don't fit in any of my pants right now um but I was like okay let me just go through all my closet and see right having a daughter really makes you step up Mm. because this little human being is looking up to you now and whether you like it or not she's gonna sense and see everything that you do absolutely even though she can't talk right now she's absorbing everything yes what is the biggest stigma about mental health um i think a misunderstanding about it um i think a lot of people are misunderstood I think also the first step to the road of healing is speaking up. Again, whether it's to a close friend, family, professional, um, yeah. When I used to think of mental health and mental illness, it was like crazy people. Right. A regular professional would not suffer from that. Right. Um, But now I'm realizing, I mean, a lot of people are suffering in silence. Yeah, it's making it normal (laughs) if you yeah if you understand um growing up when you think mental health it's like oh people who have like schizophrenia who are locked up in a loony house and um that's not really what it is so it's a misunderstanding of what mental health is and so it's really opening up that conversation platform for people to openly talk about it to Mm. ask questions about it um because honestly nine times out of ten someone close to you might be silently dealing with a lot of stuff that you know you don't know about 
And, you know, I think we're modern day people are so consumed in um, their own shit and social media and, you know, watching TV and not really conversing with people anymore that Making we're, real we're connections, so right? disconnected and we forget to just kind of message a friend from abroad whom you maybe haven't heard in a year or two and be like, hey, Howard, mm. how you doing? Yeah. You know? Um, and that one reach out could have saved a life or like, you know, really touch someone and be like, wow, you, you're, you're reaching out to me and make them feel cared about again. Yeah. So the next sec- section that I want to go into is what have you learned to help transform your life? So we're not talking about solutions that people can learn from your experience for those who are struggling. Um, I think it's being brave for yourself Mm. um and seeking the help that you need and they that may look different for everyone and not settling for the first solution that you find um i think if there's anything you can learn from my experience is the resilience towards finding different if not a million different solutions to kind of cherry pick and try because one solution may not help me but may help you just kind of like with exercising i may love boxing you may hate it you need to kind of try a little bit of everything before you you settle and be like okay this is going to be my thing you know so if you feel the onset of anxiety coming on do you have a protocol that you're like all right i can feel it these are the things that i need to do yeah um i uh, get out of whatever space i'm at i am for a few minutes i find a quiet corner and then i put my fingers on my pulse on my wrist or on my neck and then i close my eyes and i start um listening to my pulse because it calms me down mm. <laughs> and then i start breathing with my pulse slowly deeply And I close my eyes. Why? So you're desensitized to everything else that is around you. Because when you have your eyes open, there's so much to see. And even if I'm not, I'm looking at you, my eyes are also taking in everything in my peripheral vision. And then my body, I mean, my mind is um, deciphering it subconsciously, right? But if you close your eyes, there's nothing to see. It's just all black. And then you can really focus. And how long would you do that for? For as long as I need. Um, Normally, like three to four minutes is good for me. Um, If you're going through something huge, probably a little bit more than that. Um, I also incessantly use oils. So I have oils with me wherever I go. Yes, I'm that oil lady. (laughs) So you would do your breathing and then you put the oils on. Yeah. Pretty much straight away. Right away. Which Um, is the go-to oil that you use? I always... Lavender um, is quite mild for me. I need the heavy stuff. (laughs) So um, I use valerian and vetiver, but um, for those of you who know your scents, valerian is a quite pungent smell. So if I'm out, I will not use it because people will be like, oh, that girl smells like sewage. (laughs) So it's not a pretty smell. It's not a pretty smell. It's very, very uh, strong. Um, So I normally go with vetiver and lavender and orange just to mix it up a little bit. What is your morning routine? Well, now with a newborn, it's a little bit different, but I, this is the routine I try to stick to every morning. I wake up, I, uh, kiss my daughter 
because um, that morning glimpse of her makes my mm. soul shine because she smiles and you're like, you just melt. Um, and then I will uh, do a short meditation. Um, and then when I meditate, I also do a sequence of essential oils that I put on myself and then mm. affirmations. If I have time, I like pulling out a card. Um, so cards are basically just oracle cards. Um, so it's kind of like, all right, what, what kind of message is coming through today that I need to, you know, be aware of? Um, and I normally use my angel deck, which is a very nice and fluffy messages, which what are very is it? positive. Um, it's called an angel oracle angel. deck. Yeah. Okay. So the messages that come through are always very positive and like uppity. Um, so it's a really nice way to start your, your morning. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a really nice way to start your morning. Great. How has your experience with anxiety made you a better leader, friend, and a lover? Um, I think it's made me more uh, a resilient and empathetic and sympathetic leader because everyone's going through their own stuff. I also realize, you know, with the people that I work with, some people are also struggling with anxiety. And because I've taken that forward step in sharing publicly sometimes they message me privately and mm -hmm. say hey i know we're not close but i'm going through this and i was wondering if you can shed some light in what you know i can do etc etc and nine times out of ten i am i'm available and i will help um, sometimes i'm stuck with my child so i can't but um yeah it's it's i think it's made me a better leader in that sense you talked about forgiveness in one of your recent post <laughs> yeah. and now it really makes sense with your grandma and yeah. your biological mom and there were the four steps for, to practicing forgiveness yeah the the does that Pono come to Pono. mind right yeah, now yeah 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 can you describe that and explain that because i think forgiveness is one of the biggest things yeah and that is definitely one of my biggest life lessons that i'm still struggling to with this day but baby steps baby steps um so honopono pono is a practice comes from a hawaiian doctor and uh, i don't remember which decade it was but basically he was a doctor who was assigned to this insane asylum and he didn't see any of his patients all he did was prescribe these four sentences, which was, please forgive me, thank you, I love you, and uh, I forgot what the fourth one was. Um, but basically, he told the patients to repetitively repeat this just up until whenever without any medication. And um, I don't recall if all of the patients were healed or if only half of them were healed, but it was a huge wow. um, revelation. And so um, it's amazing how this um, simple affirmation practice can really solve your, your deep-seated I'm going to find issues. your post and put it in the show notes sure. on the website because I think it's, it's a really big one. Yeah. All right. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I've got a few quick rapid questions, so you don't need to think about too much, but we'll just go for it. What is your most gifted or memorable book? Harry Potter. <laughs> Why is that? Um, I actually hated reading growing up. Um, that was actually the first set of books I read from front to back. And up, up until this day, I love all the movies, and I actually just rewatched them last weekend. Yeah. What is the best lesson that your parents taught you? So 
I guess in your case, you can choose a guardian that is special to you. Um, I remember my dad telling me, um, it doesn't matter what you do in life, so long as you do your best. So he's like, you can even be like a garbage man, mm. but do your best at being the best garbage man that you can be. And that has sat very well with me. Yeah. That's great advice. And lastly, what is the one thing that people should start doing right now to invest in their mental health? Start exploring. Start setting aside time to work on yourself, constantly healing and improving to be the best version of yourself, whether that be meditation, you know, nature walks, uh, seeing someone, talking about someone, taking more baths, um, just, you know, connecting with yourself more because I think people nowadays are constantly so occupied with outward stuff and how everyone sees them that they kind of lose their souls and forget, forget themselves a bit. Lastly, is there anything that I haven't covered that you want to bring up and close the interview with yeah so there are different platforms in hong kong that i believe offer services to people who are seeking help for mental health um i think there's one called ocd uh anxiety and depression society or organization they're on uh, instagram facebook and they host different closed door group sessions for people who, who are seeking assistance. Um, and then there's another one called Mind Hong Kong, um, which does a lot of mental health work within the community. Um, and then there's also another podcast called Talking Mental that um, is also, you know, going around Hong Kong, uh, interviewing professionals as well. So people can, you know, relate to mental health chats more great as well. yeah and of course you, your platform <laughs> <laughs> thank you where can people find you um i'm on instagram at coax c-o-k-e-s and your pr company oh the omsa your new baby yes. <laughs> your other baby yeah so i was talking about nur- nurturing your relationship with self and so my business partner valerie and i just started this platform called omsa it's called it's short for om for the spiritually awakened and it's basically a online and offline platform dedicated to nurturing your relationship with self through spiritual well-being and self-love practices what that means is basically we have a lot of content online to help you further deepen your relationship with self whether it's breath work meditation working with crystals essential oils um and we have an online portal that sells all of that self-love and spiritual well-being paraphernalia um and yeah so it also gives tutorial or step-by-step guide on how to do these things. Yeah, sure. So we will have all of that. And uh, later in 2020, we will be doing offline workshops to oh, um, yeah, do more for the community as well. Great. Thank you so much, Coco, for being here. Thank you for I having really me. I really appreciate your yeah. time. Thanks. Thank you. Mental illness is as common as the flu. It is important to share Coco's story because people are still too embarrassed to share their struggles. As she mentioned, there are steps you can take and tools that can help. Reach out, you're not alone. Coco and I would love to hear back from you. What is the single biggest insight that you're taking away from this conversation today? And how can you put it into action right now in your life? The best conversation happens after the episode over at interested.blog on my Interested Podcast Facebook page. 
So go on over there to access the show notes and leave a comment now. Subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend.